Hello, and welcome to TMBS, the Thursday Night Bible Study. This study was held on September 9th, 2010. Although last week we did start our discussion on predestination, we really never got around to looking at the actual scripture in the 8th chapter. So tonight that's where we'll start, with Romans 8, 29. So welcome again. This is TNBS, Volume 2, Session 20. Romans 8th chapter, 29th verse. Last week we did have a discussion about predestination and foreknowledge and all of that. We, we talked about the, the two schools of thought from the Calvinist and the Armenian thought, where the Calvinists believe that, pre, that God does predestine. In fact, Calvinists believes in the double predestination. John Calvin believed that God predestines some people for heaven and predestines some people for hell. And that these people, according to the Calvinist beliefs, uh, there are five points of Calvinism, that there is no way to refuse this, that if you are chosen by God before you're ever born, before the foundations of the earth, if you have been chosen by God to accept Christ and become a child of God, then you, have, you cannot refuse that. That will ultimately happen without you having any choice in that matter whatsoever. The Armenians on the other side believe that man's free will does come into play. And as I shared with you last week, I am more of the Armenian type of thought. I do believe that we do have a free will and that we do choose to follow Jesus Christ on our own. However, it is all of God's doings. It is nothing that we have deserved. It is nothing that we, have, we can earn by any means. And it's all because of God's love and grace. also made the point that there are a lot of things which Calvinists and Armenians agree upon. Uh, the, the, the basic element of predestination and pre-choice and free will are things they disagree on, but there's a lot they do agree on. And like I said also, that once a Calvinist believer comes and accepts Jesus Christ and is, and is a born-again sinner, a child of God, and once an Armenian believes by his free will he's chosen to accept Christ as a personal Savior, really from that point forward there's not a whole lot of difference between their theologies. A little bit, but not a whole lot. So... For all of us, it's not that big an issue. And the thing I want to caution you about is don't allow it to become an issue between you and another Christian. Now, the Presbyterians are basically the Calvinists. that They basically follow the Calvinist beliefs. But there should not be a, a, a Baptist Presbyterian or a Methodist Presbyterian or us-against-them type of attitude because there are some great theologians and great preachers and great Christians on both sides of this, this issue. And it's a very difficult issue. As I mentioned last week, I, I thought about listing all the verses which the Calvinists claim it supports their, their stance, and I list all the, all the verses which the Arminians claim that support their, chance, their, their stance, and then list all the arguments that the Arminians have against the Calvinist stance and the Calvinists have against the Arminian stance, but I don't think that would gain us anything. It really would. So I'm not going to do that. We're just going to look into it, and I'm going to read these verses, and I'm going to give you my thoughts. These are my thoughts. This is my interpretation of the Scripture. And it is shaded on the, the Armenian side of, of man having a free will and choosing to accept Jesus Christ or not, where the Calvinists claim that man cannot, does not have that choice. If he's been called and chosen, then he cannot refuse it. So that's the way we're going to look at these verses. Now, I do encourage you to study this if you desire, if you want to know more about it, and to, and to make up your own mind. Uh, it can be confusing. Uh, you look at Romans 8.29 where Paul says we're predestined, we're preordained by the foreknowledge of God. Then you look at uh, 1 Timothy 2.4 which is Paul, the same author, 
writing another letter, and he says in there that God wishes that, that all men be saved. And that seems to be contradictory. And some of the letters of Paul do seem to contradict each other in this area. Like I said, there's arguments on both sides of this issue. So please, I encourage you to, to make up your own mind about this. Okay? But tonight, you're going to hear my interpretation <laughs> of these scriptures. So we'll go from there. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, how you interpret the word foreknew is really going to determine how you approach the word predestined. And that's really the basic difference between the two schools, is how that word foreknew, God foreknew, or foreknowledge, and how that word is identified. And the Greek is not a whole lot of help here, to be honest with you. Uh, the Greek word is prognosko. Okay, gnosko you probably recognize is just knowledge, no. Pro means before. So basically, essentially, what the Greek word is, is saying is to know beforehand. Okay? Now, my interpretation, and I'm going to emphasize that over and over, guys. This is my interpretation. Okay? My interpretation is that since God is, is beyond time, God is outside of time, you have to remember that. We are, we are constrained to time. We have a present, we have a past, we have a future. And the present is all that we can really experience right now. But God is beyond time. He is not constrained or restricted by time because He is beyond time. And since God is beyond time, the past, the present, and the future are all, are all now to God. Okay? As such, He does know beforehand who is going to choose eternal life through Jesus Christ. He does know before. We actually make that choice because He knows all things. He knows all time. And when that person chooses which I believe is done by their own free will to choose. When that person chooses, then it is God's predetermined will that that believer become conformed to the image of his son. You follow me now? Let me repeat that. When that person chooses, which I believe is done by free will, when that person chooses to accept Jesus Christ, then it is God's predetermined will that that believer become conformed to the image of his son. Just as it says, for he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Let me just hang with me and we'll go on there. And those who have, who have believed and made this choice, he then calls them or summons them as the, or invites them as the actual Greek word. He invites them to his will of conformity to Christ, which it says there, to, be, to become conformed to Christ. And those that he has summoned or invited, he also justifies and declares not guilty because they have believed by faith. And those that he have just, has justified, he will glorify. Now that's how I interpret those verses there when it says, Whom he foreknew, he did, know, he did know beforehand that we were going to make that choice. But once I made that choice, then he also predestined to become like the image of his, of his son. Now, there have been, I have read several examples that have been used to try to explain this. But I'm, as I've cautioned you before, with any example that is trying to illustrate the divine, they all fall short at some point. But let me give you this example, give you two examples. One person says that this predestination, and once you choose Christ, I said you are predestined to God's will, 
Well, it's predestination. It's like a, a person who buys a ticket to, to fly to Atlanta. Okay? Once they board the plane, except Christ, then they are predestined to arrive in Atlanta to be glorified. Okay? You see the thought process there. Now, the Calvinists will say that that person had no choice. They had to board the plane. I say they boarded on their own free will. Once they're on that plane, then they are predestined to, Atlanta, to, to arrive in Atlanta. Once we choose, once I choose freely to accept Jesus Christ, then I am predestined to be conformed to, his, to the likeness of His Son. Now, as God has basically said, for all those who choose my gift of salvation through the sacrifice of my Son, this is what I want them to become. I want them to become in the likeness of my Son. Yes? So does God know that we are going to accept Him or reject Him? Yes, He does have foreknowledge. So if He already knows that one is going to reject Him, then why would He pursue that person? Why would He pursue that person? If He already knows that they're going to reject them. If He already knows they're going to reject them, why would He pursue that person? All through the Bible you see a lot of God's pursuing. Yes, you do. All throughout the Bible you do. Good question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it's because so that you don't have an excuse. Like if God like if God doesn't pursue you and you don't accept him and he sends you to hell, I wouldn't think that'd be very that fair. Be just. Yeah. yeah, that's a good So like he pursues you and you don't accept. Then you have a reason to go to hell. And it says and says in that Second Timothy verse that he wants for nobody to <laughs> The, the question you asked, Beth, is, is a good question. It, you know, if, if God knows we're going to reject Him, then why does He pursue us? He, he knows the end. He knows what's going to happen in the end. He knows, what, he knows what all of us are going to choose. But yet we still have to go through this process, you know. I don't know. I, I can't answer that. I really can't. I really can't. And the Calvinists couldn't answer that either. Because the Calvinists would tell you they have no choice. I don't know. To me, it's just one of those mysteries of the gospel, mysteries of, of, of God. Uh, and like I said, whenever we try to explain the divine, whenever we try to explain the unlimited with our limited minds, we're going to get in trouble. And if you think it's tough now, wait till we get to ninth chapter. There's some things in the ninth chapter which I have no explanation for whatsoever. You know? And a lot of it is, is historical. It happened. I can't explain it. Paul doesn't seem to explain it either. He just puts it out there. And the commentaries I've read, they don't explain it either. They basically come to the same conclusion there. Some of them, in fact, one of them I read, I, I could just imagine a guy throwing up his hand and saying, I don't know. I don't know why Paul says this. Yeah. Who can know the wisdom of God? Exactly. It may be, maybe it's for the benefit of others that he keeps pursuing this person to demonstrate the fact that although they continue to reject him, he continues to pursue them. He continues to love them. He continues desires for them to accept Christ. And maybe it's to be used as an example. I don't know. I believe that we're not Calvinists and we don't have to ask the question of why God creates people. That's, to go to hell. <laughs> That's true. So, I'm glad we don't have to worry about that. I'm glad we don't have to worry about that one too. You know, how can a loving God deliberately create somebody to go to hell? Okay. Another example which may just make it all more confusing, I don't know. You attend a football game, and you watch the game as it unfolds over a time period. And the outcome is determined by the choices the players and coaches make. Okay? 
You got that. But God, on the other hand, being outside of time, is seeing the same game. But he's seeing the beginning kickoff, the halftime show, the final play, and everything else in between it all at once. If he's outside of time, he sees the kickoff, the halftime show, the final play, and everything in between all at once. He knows who's going to win from the beginning. And the outcome is predestined to happen because of the individual choices made during the game. Now that may sound like a, a round and you know double speak. I don't know, but it's just, that's an example that I came up with. It kind of helped me get my arms around this thing. But we're restricted to what we see. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. But God is not. God is not. So why does He still pursue those who He knows beforehand would not ever accept His love? I don't know. Maybe it's just an example to others of His unselfish and unlimited love, even toward those that reject Him. Yet He still loves them and He still pursues them. I don't know. As I've said, you will have to think and pray and study and this issue for yourself. There are a lot of other thoughts and ideas and nuances concerning this issue. Maybe at some time later date we can do a study just on this particular topic. But I'm going to tell you right now, I feel that such a study, although it will be very informative, may not reach any concrete conclusions. <laughs> I think it's predestined. I think it's predestined that we won't reach any concrete conclusions, right? <laughs> yeah, and I had the foreknowledge of that, by the way. So, <laughs> um, I don't know, gangs. And then questions like you asked Beth about, you know, if, if God knows, then then why does He continue to pursue? And He does. I don't know. Maybe it is an example to others. Also, I think it kind of demonstrates to us the fact that no one is beyond God's love. Because there have been a lot of people that have rejected God for for a long time and have lived one of those probate lives. Is that what you call them? I don't know. You know, just who is it? Jeffrey Dahmer? Is that the one that comes to mind? You know, and guys, from all that I've read and from all that I've heard. Jeffrey Dahmer is going to be in heaven with the rest of us. How, I can't explain that. He became a Christian? Yes, he did. It, it, just before he was executed. In fact, he even had a, a lengthy conversation with, uh, who was it? Um, Dobson, wasn't it? James Dobson actually went and interviewed him and, and, and discussed and talked with him for, I mean, for a long, you know, not just a brief conversation, and came to the conclusion that, yes, he had made an honest decision for, for Christ. And it asked for forgiveness. I can't explain that. That is not just in my mind, but that's not who's going to determine things. We don't have the same mind, Patrick, exactly. Or the prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal son. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good parable to think about. Or even just when he was being crucified and the, the guys who were on the cross beside him. Right. Today you'll be with me in paradise. You know? I'm relieved that God has enough mercy to do things for people who aren't always 100%. I'm kind of relieved about that too. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder when he, he knew, like you say, he's outside time, he knows everything. Why even go through the whole human thing in the first place? Yeah, why don't I just say, yeah, I've had enough of this. <laughs> he, knew we gonna, he knew that all the trouble he was going to have to deal with, with all of us, and yet he... He still he, does that. and. But why? You know, why did he create humans to begin with? Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why he doesn't. 
one of the reasons why I think God does actually, why, why God has created this this human experiment or whatever you want to call it, is the joy that He gets from seeing His creation get it. And I say that because I know, I know the the joy that I have felt when I have seen some of y'all finally get it when it finally clicks, you know. Finally, you know, when, when, you, when you finally come to that point of, of it, all, it all comes into focus and you finally realize what all of this is about. And, and when, I've, when I have seen that in, in y'all, and not just y'all's lives, but other, other lives too, and the joy that I feel when I see that happening, not because of anything I've done, but just the fact that you are now experiencing what I've experienced or have experienced in the past, you know, um, in that, well, it was seven Bible studies and one, and one testimony. <laughs> uh, one of the points I tried to make in, in the film earlier today when I said is, is the passion that I have for students. It's a, th- it's a passion I've had for over 30 years. It's a passion I still have. Because I want students to come to know the Christ that I've known, that I have learned, that I have come to know, and to experience the joy and, and all the other stuff, the hope, the peace, the purpose, you know, all of that which I have experienced over the last 35, 40 years. That's why I still do this. And when that happens, when that light bulb goes off and when that switch is thrown or when it finally clicks, I get excited. I just get, I am absolutely thrilled. I cannot imagine what God must feel when that happens. You know? You know, God must just be, well, what are you talking about? The angels in heaven, you know, are celebrating over the one lost sinner. You know, I can can see God just doing a little happy dance. You know, really can. You know, (laughs) woo! He got it. You know, finally. You know, he was definitely not lonely. I mean, depending on what you what you think about the heavenly host. No, he didn't do it because he needed friends. Yeah, he he had he had people who worked with him and everything. But there was something about us that. So I, (laughs) I'm just glad he did. I'm glad he created me, and I'm glad he's cre. I'm glad he he sacrificed his son for me, so that I can come to know the joy that I've known in Jesus Christ. And I, I do a little happy dance too. Okay, woo! All right, got to move on. We're gonna finish this eighth chapter if we stay here to midnight. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, verse thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He, did, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul goes on to talk about the victory that we have in Christ. The victory we have in Christ. We are on God's side, or God is on our side, however you want to phrase that. We are on God's side, I guess. And we are his, so that there is no power that can overcome us, that can overtake us, that can overpower us. We've talked about that in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, when it says there's no temptation. You know, he will not allow it to become too great. Uh, there's nothing that can overcome God's power. In Ephesians 6, 6.10, when he talks about standing strong, at 6.13, when he talks about standing strong in his strength, you know, for the battle that we have to face. And God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us because of his love for us. So won't he also give us everything that we need to be conformed to the likeness of his son, which is what his will is, which is what his desire is. He wants us to become like Christ. That's what it says in verse, 20, in verse 29. To be conformed to the image of His Son. So since He didn't even sacrifice, he, he didn't even hesitate in sacrificing His own Son, won't He surely give us everything else we need to be conformed to His Son? 
Won't He surely give us everything else we need to experience the abundant life that He has for us? Reading on, verse 33, 34. So who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justified, and who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. So who then can condemn us? Who can claim us guilty, or who can even judge us? Because we have been justified by God, the ultimate judge. And He has said that as of now, since you have accepted the sacrificial death of my son, you are no longer guilty. So nobody else can, can come at us. They really can't. And we have Christ who is at the right hand of God interceding for us so that we can live victorious, forgiven for our sins because of his blood. We have Christ sitting at the right hand of God. We have the Holy Spirit Verse 27 of this same chapter, verse 26, And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us now, every day of our lives. When we come to glory and stand before the judgment, we have Christ who intercedes before us, before the Father's throne. Now, with those two thoughts in mind, Paul goes on. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? shall separate us from the love of Christ. And then he goes on and talks about things. He said, will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Because you may think, well, now, David, a sword may separate you. So, I mean, you could die. Well, that won't separate us. That'll just join us <laughs> immediately, you know? None of these things will separate us. And he quotes Psalms forty-four twenty-two. For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We, are, we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Basically what he's saying here is, you know, we will have problems, guys. We're going to have troubles. We'll have tribulations. We'll have difficulties. We will have uh, tri uh, tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. We will have those things happen to us. We will not be exempt from them. But they will not separate us from the love of God. They will not separate us from, from God's love. God will still be with us in the midst of all of that, and through all of those tribulations and persecutions and peril and sore and all that stuff. That's what he's saying here. We will have those things happen to us, but they won't separate us from the love of God. Okay, is that for everyone or just believers? That is for the believers. That is for the believers. Because all this is dealing with those believers. Those who he, those who he foreknew and predestined. To be determined into the likeness of his son. That's who Paul's talking about here. Okay? Verse 37. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. All these things, all these persecutions and trials and famine and nakedness and peril and sword and distress, all of these things, he says, we will overwhelmingly conquer. The Greek word there is hooper nikeo. Hooper means more, over, above, abundant. Goohobs is what it basically means, okay? You can look that word up. That's a good word, goohobs. I guess you can look it up. Google it. I don't know. <laughs> a plethora. That's a, that's a good SAT word. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's what hooper means. And nikeo means victory. It means victory. So he's not just simply saying when he says overwhelmingly conquer, which, what does the NIV say there? More, we are more than, more conquerors. than conquerors. More than conquerors. 
overwhelmingly conquers with my... Basically, he says, guys, it ain't even going to be close. You know? Our victory is not going to... We're not going to squeeze by in, in the final seconds before the gun goes off. It's not going to be a close victory. We are overwhelmingly conquerors. We're going to utterly defeat all of these things. We can utterly defeat all of these things. It's not, it's not something that, that we can just barely get by with. We can overwhelmingly conquer because through Him who loved us, we can. We can, but I don't know if we will because that's up to us as to whether we rely upon this this conquering through Christ or whether we try to do it on our own. But in Christ, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. We, are utter, we utterly defeat all of these problems and circumstances that we face. We can. We can, if we choose to. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life that's pretty strong right there. No matter whether we're dead or whether we're alive. Nor angels, nor principalities, even spiritual things. Nor things present or things to come, neither our present situation or anything in the future that we face. Nor powers, nor heights or depths. And in case he left out something, he finally sums it all up in the last thing. Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Three verses which you really ought to have underlined right there. But in all these things, all, not some, not most, not the majority of, not even 95% of them, but all of these things, he says. That's all-inclusive. The Greek word there means all. I looked it up. (laughs) You know? In all of these things, we are overwhelmingly more than conquerors because of the love in Christ Jesus. And nothing, all of these things which he's mentioned here, powers and principalities and, and even death itself, and anything that's been created can separate us from this love. No matter how dark it may seem, It's not that dark. Because we, by being children of God, by being in this relationship with God, by having Christ interceding for us at the Father's throne, by having the Holy Spirit interceding for us within our hearts, being justified, redeemed, forgiven, sanctified sinners, by being a child of God, joint heirs with Christ, we can be overwhelmingly conquerors in all of these things. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that has ever been created and nothing in the spiritual world that can separate us if we rely upon the love and the power that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, there are created things that do separate us when we allow them to. But we can be overwhelmingly conquerors through the love and power of Jesus Christ. It's like this uh, saintly lady that just died last 
Sunday, Jewel Childress. And Nancy and I went to visit her the Monday before she died on Sunday. And uh, went in, had a good conversation, talked with her, and just, you know, and she, she met with the ministers, she met with Stan, she planned her entire funeral. And I was talking with her son, Dean, um, Friday, wasn't it, dear? I think it was Saturday. We were going into the nursing home to see Mom, and we were going to go by and check on Jewel, and Dean was coming out. And he told me how much he appreciated me going by and seeing his mom, and I said, well, we had a great visit. We really did. And I asked how she was doing. He said, well, she she talked with Stan last Thursday. Like two days ago. Like two days ago. This was Saturday. She talked to Stan on Thursday to plan his funeral. He says, and as of Friday morning, she was unresponsive. But you're right, Mike. There, there, there are people, we all know people that have gone through such tremendous things. And you think, how in the world have they survived that? Well, that's how, right there. Yeah. Romans 8, 8, 27, 28, and 29. No. Romans 8, 37, 38, and 39. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's how. And they are overwhelmingly conquerors. Jewel Childress overwhelmingly conquered the cancer she had. In my book, she really did. And so can we. Whether it's a physical ailment, whether it's a a personal trial, or whether it's, (laughs) you know, whatever we're going through, we can't overwhelmingly conquer. Jewel Childress's funeral will be a celebration. It really will. It will be a celebration of her life. My grandfather, um, who died before I was born, my dad's father, at his funeral, the song they sang was Oh Happy Day. That's, that's what they sang at his funeral. It was Oh Happy Day. Because that's the way he believed. You know. So, well, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for these dear friends. I thank you for these brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for their love and their encouragement and their prayers. And I thank you, Father, for what you are doing in all of our lives. For your love that constantly overlooks our faults and mistakes and, and forgives us. For your love that desires us to be a part of your work. I just thank you, Father. It's more than I can understand. And it really blows my mind at times. The fact that you love me as much as you do. And Father, help us when we get into those difficult times. When we're faced with trials and <laughs> tribulations and well, maybe not peril and swords, Father, but when life gets tough, I pray that you will remind us of your presence and your power and your love. Thank you, Father. Be with us now. In all of life, be with us. This is my prayer in and through the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior and my Lord, and my very bestest friend. Amen and amen.
I want to thank you for joining us tonight, and as always, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please send me an email. My address is davidlkeel at gmail.com. I hope you can be with us next week, where we'll begin our study of the ninth chapter of Romans, a very difficult chapter where Paul talks about the sovereignty of God. Until then, I'll be praying for you and me, that we both may walk in the truth and in the grace and in the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God bless you.